Today on my Songwriting for Songwriters podcast, I have the amazing Beth Nielsen-Chapman. How are you, Beth? I'm great. It's good to be here. Love Thank talking you. about my favourite subject. Yeah, mine too. As a songwriter, mine is mine too. So, <laughs> you know, the idea for this podcast was really to deep dive what we love and, um, you know, just to, to, to gather knowledge and shared experience and the mystery of song, really. So um, I was reading a, an interview with you Um this morning in which you said that you've spoken well you spoke about how sometimes you can write a song and then later on in life that song can almost be prophetic like it's something which comes true yes. later in life and one of the yeah. questions I've, I've kind of spoken um about with other songwriters is their belief in like whether there's a songwriting muse or what they are connecting to so when you spoke about that kind of prophetic element to your writing where does that come from do you think if anywhere what do you think is going on with that well, I have a very uh, crazy sort of view of what creative flow is. So, and when I teach a workshop on songwriting or creativity, I start off with this notion to try to, in, you know, impart to folks that if we don't think of creativity as something you have or you don't have, um, like some people say, well, I'm not creative. I wish I was. I can't do it, blah, blah, blah. What they're doing is they're creating language in their head that's literally taking the creative flow and pushing it back. So I think it's quite mystical. Um, I've written entire albums wondering where did that song come from? And I follow the song. I kind of follow the song blindly, not really knowing or needing to know what exactly caused it. Yeah, I just want it to be coherent when I finish it. I want it to be something that isn't confusing about what what it is. But there's a way that songs have taken on a different dimension. Um, Like, for instance, I did an album called Deeper Still. And the last day of mixing that album, I found out I had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think about it in terms of breast cancer or going through breast cancer when I wrote the songs. Or even after I finished the album and I found out I had breast cancer. It took me to like the next year when I was recovering from my treatments and I went back and I was getting ready to now release the album that I had to pause to get well. And I listened to the songs again and I thought, oh my God, all of these songs were written. Now I w- now I can see how much they are about the, the journey that I just went on, it, all the fear and yeah. letting go and all the stuff, all the emotions. And it hadn't been the first time that happened. So it's happened pretty regularly. And yeah. uh, I've had people say, well, don't, don't get worried when you're writing a really sad song i'm like well you know like sometimes it's it's interesting but i think of creativity as something that's more like the air around us yeah and there is within that air around us a kind of a a way you can tap in yeah to a space of sort of collective wisdom yeah and creativity to me i mean if i were to just try to put it in a nutshell it's sort of like god breathing and right it breathes through everything like plant a seed it'll grow leave your sandwich on the piano it will mold <laughs> creativity will happen regardless of whether or not you you think it it just doesn't stop so what what stops it is that if you don't open to it it doesn't just come and find you and songs don't make you write them you have to open to writing them sure. so i think a lot of uh, the process for me is very um, ethereal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I have written enough songs and studied the craft to 
to the point where I'm very greedy about like, I want it to be a perfect rhyme if possible. And I want it to be the melody to really fit the words. And I want it to sound like something that somebody would have said in a conversation. I don't want it to sound like a songwriter wrote it. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways that when I listen to songs from students, you know, they'll, like they'll, they'll have lines in there where they're trying to give information. So they'll be in a conversation and they're singing to a person and they're saying, you know, you came in last night and you, and you sat down and you told me this and you did that. And then, then we had dinner and then you asked me to marry you. And then I'm like, why, why are you telling that person something they were there for? I mean, weren't they there? I mean, yeah. are they brain dead? <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden you go, Oh, well, you know, I'm just trying to write a song. I'm like, yeah, I know I can smell a songwriter. So I find that the creative process is a give is a gift we all have. Yeah. And then we if we start to learn how to dance with it, there's a million ways you can improve your craft, which is very important to do. But I try to encourage people writing songs not to think about the craft. Don't yeah. worry about all the fine tuning stuff. Just play. You know, it's like getting in the sandbox and I just throw chords around and throw words around and I even write nonsense syllables that don't make any sense just to move my voice into the melody. And it's like, it's like jumping out of an airplane, you know, and yeah, seeing totally, where you can land. I totally get that. I mean, one of the things that happens for me is um, sometimes I walk past the piano or guitar and it's as if the piano or guitar will almost like whistle at me and I'll get a feeling like now <laughs> and so I'll go over and invariably the, yeah. The, the the kind of signature uh, chord sequence or riff will come within the first like minute, you know, and then it will want me right. to walk away from it. But it's it's quite kind of, it's, I've always found that kind of, um, I suppose that's something which has developed over the years because in the beginning we will sit down to write songs and copy our favourite songwriters. But as I kind of grow as a songwriter, really now my process is completely getting out of the way until that moment happens. And then like you say, apply the craft after, after you've got that initial seed then go to work at it yeah. like you're kind of a laborer or so, you know, doing it that way. Well, I try to get, I, I try to get as much of it down in that first stage where I'm not judging it and I'm just, okay, well, that's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to try it going from this angle and, and I'll record the whole time because yeah. if I don't, if I don't have something in record, most of the time when the really good stuff comes through, I'm not consciously yeah. noticing it. Yeah. I mean, I'm aware of but I'm not really attributing it as being anything. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in a co-writing situation and I'm I'm just going, well, this isn't the line, but you know, something like this. And I blurt something out and they go, no, that's great. And I'm like, is it, you know, and I have to take a minute and go, wait, that is great. Oh my God. You know, that's perfect. But I didn't think it, yeah. <laughs> it just kind of went. Yeah. And again, I think so much of it is, I, I just say, you know, I imagine that all the songs are perfectly written. And they're already neatly stacked up waiting for us to download them in layers. Yeah. And if you don't show up and play, yeah. then you don't pull it in. And the other thing I make my students do is I'll, I'll listen to a song that they're playing me. And when I listen to a song, I am critiquing. I have my more analytical hat on, you know, but I'm looking for, is it airtight? Do I know who's talking to who about what and why? Any of those questions answered is a good thing. And then I'll just say, you know, well, this section here is really good. Why is the next section not as good? You know, so therefore we know you can write this good. So there's no reason that this section shouldn't be as good as that section. So I'll, I'll, I'll say the second verse. 
I think you should take the second verse, lift it out of there, put it over here on the altar of things that aren't going anywhere, which I have an imaginary altar to put the lines that I'm very attached to that I want to consider rewriting. But you literally have to take it out of your song physically and then either reprint or re, re you know, design the lyric sheet, even if you're working on a computer with a hole in it. Yeah, nice. Now look at that thing again. And you have to have a physical space mm. where there's nothing because yeah. the creative flow loves a void and if it's full of words that are already there even if you're trying to rewrite them you know i'll literally hit the return till there's a space yeah. it's like yeah. okay there's that verse i'm going to try another one and i'll make my students write not just one verse i'll say you have to write no less than five wow okay. brand new verses yeah. Yeah. yeah and then there's a part of the brain that's going well wait I, I i totally rewrote the second verse now i love the thing i came up with so much better i'm done I'm like no you're not done until you write me four more okay that's cool and it's absurd you know to ask your brain to do that but what happens is you exercise the muscle of reaching beyond yeah. where there's so much more good stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you know we 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 didn't um we met briefly online with one of Chris Difford's songwriting workshops during the pandemic. And I, I didn't, thought you looked from here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to write with you, but one of the, when you were talking about critiquing, I wrote a song called "Losing the Girl" with uh, a brilliant um, artist called Ruby Jew. And when it came around to the oh, end, I love Ruby. Yeah, I love great. Ruby. And when we came around yeah. to playing the song, um, it was, it was an, the the sort of structure of it and the chord sequence was something I had a long time ago, and I called the song "Losing the Boy." And then we wrote the lyrics together and we wrote a song called Losing the Girl. But you were really great because right at the end, when it came to like the critique part, you just mentioned one word or two, one or two words that could have been changed just to slightly change one line. And the impact of that, that, that suggestion was like devastatingly beautiful. Like it literally changed the entire <laughs> verse. And so oh, I remember when you said that, it was just like, here is somebody who is really listening to, to, to these songs. You know, it's not just like, oh, yeah. Bye. She is really listening as a, as a music fan, but as a songwriter, she is here. She's turned up. She's present, and she is listening to everything. And um, you can hear that in your songwriting. You know, it's very. It all feels very well arranged, but very natural as well. So you can kind of hear that craft that in your work. I think, which is special. Yeah, I want it to be very. I want it to be very conversational, and I also want it to be coherent. I think those two things have to be there for me to feel like the song is got a reason to exist yeah. and you know there's a lot of a lot of amazing poetic ways that one can put a line in a song and it's it's almost like i i don't have a particular exact way of saying what works and what doesn't i just have to hear it yeah. for instance i i love to say um uh, towns van zant's song all uh if i needed you i don't know if you're familiar with that song but it's been recorded mu multitudes of times it breaks tons of rules. Yeah, It's uh, recorded by Emmylou Harris and a million other people. And the reason it breaks rules is because it doesn't, it only has one melody that goes around and around. It's one verse, doesn't have a chorus, doesn't have a B section, okay. doesn't have anything that changes. Yeah. And, uh, and if you said to me, oh, I've got this song, it just has these four lines that go around and around. I'm like, eh, you might want it to go somewhere and come back, you know? So, and then, it's totally coherent while also introducing characters like in the third verse that he doesn't explain who they are. Okay. And he's talking about Luke and Lil, these two parakeets. 
but I don't know their parakeet. It's not in the song. But when I heard the song the first time, <laughs> I love the song so much and I wouldn't have changed one word. And I cannot defend why that is because several of the things, if I, if you played me a song and it had those elements, but then all of a sudden you start talking about Luke and Lil in the third verse, but I don't have any context and what have they got to do it? I would be attacking your third verse normally. Sure. sure. So there are things that transcend mm. all of the craft. And it, if That's it's that good, all I, I know is yeah it's in maybe as well sometimes is it the commitment of the choice you know if somebody's made that commitment to kind of they're going to say this they thought about it but they're deciding even though it may not make complete sense they're going to really commit to that i always like that thing about john and paul uh sorry paul mccartney writing hey jude with the the movement you need is on your shoulder line which he went to john and said i'm gonna i'll change that and john says no keep it in that's the best line in the song and in a sense the movement you need yeah. on your shoulder line. but that's a yeah but, but that's a transcendent line yeah sure i mean that's one of those lines that 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 i don't know why i can say no it i would not vote that line out nor would i vote out uh paul simon has a great line in one of his songs on the graceland album and it's it's she wore diamonds in the soles of her shoes <laughs> you know it's like so many aspects to that line that are so brilliant so you know i go through all this thing and i and i'm like no you got to have this you got to do that you know the, the craft voice the critique part of my brain is very very sharpened yeah. from many years of critiquing many many songs and my own songs but the transcendent writings it's usually fled, uh, fed by melody it's it's yeah. like the melody is so perfect and the the syllables are perfect and the meaning is ethereal, but very communicated. I knew when I heard, you know, Luke and Lil agree. Like, I don't know. Do you know that song, the, the oh, song, yeah, yeah. If I Needed You? It's yeah. beautiful. It's like, if I needed you, would you come to me? Would you come to me for to ease my pain? That's the entire melody over and over. Okay. And th that melody will suck you in and you're like, I'll do whatever you say, you know, when you hear that melody. Yes, yes. And then he gets Luke and Lil agree. Da, 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 da. And all I know is I don't know who Luke and Lil are, but I want to be in this movie. I want I want this song to be not changed at all. Yeah. So I can't explain it. But but there are these transcendent kinds of writing. But a lot of students will come to me and go, well, I don't care if it doesn't make sense. I'm like, well, enjoy playing it for your grandchildren because... It's not transcendent enough yeah, in other sure. ways to sure. make no sense, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm a real, I can be a real songwriting bully, but but a nice bully. Yeah, but that's the th <laughs> thing. You kind of, I mean, you're only applying the same level of bully, if you like, to your own songwriting. So it's like you're just being honest. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing that we do, I'm, I'm, you know, to each yeah. other. Um, yeah, I'm harder on myself than anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you have to, you kind of have to be, don't you? Because it's like your your it's your song and it's gonna you know your name is on it, and and also it's that thing of commitment to the song as if it's I don't know it's just something you really have to commit to, isn't it? To 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 you being given the the opportunity to have this piece of music, so you feel like you need to really go with it the full way. I think yeah, and I get I, I get asked this question: um, How do you absolutely know a song is finished? And I'm like, I absolutely never know a song is finished mm. i've had songs on the radio that i'm still going oh i should have said this there oh that would have been better I, that I think that 
I heard Glenn Campbell said, sorry, um, not Glenn Campbell. I heard, um, oh, his, his name just skipped my mind. The guy who wrote uh, Wichita Lineman. He was that. Oh, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a friend of mine. Um, you know, Glenn Campbell actually recorded it. Um, yes. Jimmy Webb. Sorry. Jimmy Webb, of course, yeah. <laughs> he actually sang at Jimmy Webb's wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's brilliant. a friend of mine. He's, I mean, he's one of the most incredible songwriters of all time, but I got oh, to be really. friends with him. Fantastic. I, I, read, I read somewhere him <laughs> saying that um, he didn't feel he feel like he'd finished Witch Starlight Man. You know, it was just... It got recorded, but you kind of see that. You know, you kind of sense... I know what you mean, but I'm kind of glad you didn't because there's a kind of elusive quality where you know enough, but there's a little bit of a mystery, which is also there. It just lives completely in full finished form to me. Um, it's just an amazing song. You know, I got I got asked to be on a panel one time and there was a bunch of 30 somethings in the audience. And it was for, um, there was a film called Napster that came out, I think around 2012, it's been a while, but it was all about how the streaming things kicked off. And I mean, the the whole music industry changed with Napster and all that stuff. And in the on the panel was like somebody represented from Spotify and Apple Music and you know all the streaming services and YouTube and all the guys that you know kind of ran off with with the goods. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and I'm the token singer songwriter at the end of the line of the panel, right? So what what struck me was that all through the entire discussion they would refer to music as content and files yeah well the file and the algorithm and the and the content and the files and when it got down to me i only had about 30 seconds left before the thing was going to be over so i had to i had to think fast right like how am i gonna how am i gonna communicate to these people the value of the song which is the backbone of the entire music industry so it needs to be compensated for accordingly right so I just got the microphone and I just went, I am a lineman for the county and I drive the main road, searching in the sun for another overload. And you could hear a pin drop, like all those kids out there that were halfway watching their phones and halfway watching the lecture. Yeah. Literally looked up like, what was that? You know? Good. And then I stopped and I said, what just happened? Why is everybody looking so focused on me right now? I'll tell you what just happened. A song. Mm -hmm. Now, you may not have ever heard that song or you might know that song, but that song is a piece of art. Yeah. And it made you look up from your phone. Not yeah. my voice, the song. Mm -hmm. And they actually burst into applause. And it was like, this is the thing that you have to not lose. You have to remember and know as this next generation, or you're going to have a bunch of really boring songs because you got to be able to feed Jimmy Webb when he's 20. You got to be able to feed the people that write these songs, or you're not going to have any more. You're going to have a bunch of lame brain, you know, blah, blah, you know, office songs. I call them office songs when people just go, okay, let's write a song. Yeah. But Jimmy Webb was and is a genius, you know, and that kind of thing it just you know we well, have to nurture it's such that was such a beautifully illustrated point you made there from well done at that conference because you know you're right and also the thing that you just said is 
that those kind of uh, office songs or you know you hear it a lot on the radio in the uk songs which are they're fine and they're getting mainstream yeah. and it's fine you know but but you're not you, your heart isn't open your brain's not blown it's just kind of photocopied versions of things that sell quite well that have been photocopied and photocopied but Wichita Lineman, for example, is like completely out of a different stratosphere. And we can't all write or expect Wichita Lineman. But it does seem to me that there's a little bit of a, um, you know, a kind of watering down of, of songwriting in, in, in mainstream radio. And, you know, it, ideally... I think that's always been. I think that, yeah. You think always been? I think that's always been. I do. Yeah. But okay. I think that when it was more condensed, because there wasn't as much... There just wasn't as much. There weren't as many radio stations. There wasn't as much of a business of it. In the 60s, when I grew up, we had like three radio stations and three television stations. So if you were watching the news, you were you were watching the news from very sort of focused source. Yeah. And now, you know, we have this vast chaos because it's all over the place. But But a great song still is a great song and this is where the you know this is where i once i've demolished people's sense of hope i go but wait you know you can sit in a room with a guitar and you can create something that will slam through doors that will get in a movie you can do that you don't ever have to give up that dream it is a lot more chaotic right now but you should be doing your work you should be doing your body of work as a songwriter the way that van gogh painted he yeah. didn't paint because people bought his paint. He painted because he had to paint and he had to keep painting. And I think he sold one painting to his brother his entire life. And if he had just woken up one morning and said, you know what? This isn't really paying off. I think I'm going to go do something else. That would have been a horrible loss for the rest of us. Absolutely. And I just feel like when you say, you know, nobody could have written Wichita Lyman but Jimmy Webb at that moment in time. But nobody could write your Wichita Lyman except you at this moment in time coming from you. Mine would be different. Yours would be different. And that's the other thing I try to sort of instill, you know, songwriters by definition are sort of lacking in some self-confidence, usually at their very core, which is part of the reason that they're songwriters. Absolutely. And I said, you know, you're, you're allowed to, you know, compare yourself to Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and go, Oh my God, why would I even bother to write? But you got to get over that because you have this little piece of real estate that is literally one place in history and one point in all existence, which is you looking out from behind your eyes. Yeah. Nobody can tell your story yeah. the way you can tell your story. And your story, if you don't think it's interesting, then you're wrong because literally every human being, especially the ones that don't go around boasting, you know, people that are having an experience, if you could put it into words, and share your experience or music or a painting or whatever form your art takes. What you're doing is you're giving something back from that tiny little piece of real estate that is so precious because it only exists coming from you. Yeah. It doesn't exist anywhere else. It can't exist anywhere else. And when that piece of art has some coherence to it, it is valuable and it is brilliant and it is unstoppable. Even if it goes into the howling hurricane of all existence and only 2000 years later, when they find your notebooks, a la <laughs> Van Gogh, do they discover you? You know, the thing that's so weird about it is you really lose a lot of the energy 
of this magical connection if you if you don't if you get caught up in I have to be successful. Yes, you do. Absolutely. Do. I have to be successful. You, know, you do have to feed your family. But if your songwriting is attached to, I have to be successful in order for me to feel like I have a point in doing it, mm. then you're going to lose part of the part of the ticket to get in. Part of, part <laughs> I don't know. I'm fixing metaphors on you. No, that's true. Though, huh? I mean, it's, you lose part of who you are if you're trying to do right for successes as it, with the aim of success. Like you said, you lose who you are in that one moment of time. And interestingly, you brought Van Gogh right. up. My daughter bought me a um a book of letters between him and his brother. And you're absolutely right that the man was committed to painting. You know, he really was. And his lack of success definitely did haunt him, or he, you know, he felt unsuccessful but he was there every day writing um painting those paintings and you have i think if you if you're a real songwriter from my point of view it's there's nothing else you can do it's not about success it's like you have to do it because it is who yeah. you are and so whether you're living in a tent or a 10 million pound house you're still going to need to write that song you know so it's yeah and, and and as a professional songwriter you know when i've been signed to a publisher there are situations where they say we need a song for so-and-so it needs to be up tempo. It needs to be about a truck or whatever. That's okay to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you don't do that with the full breadth of your songwriting identity, yeah. yes. then the song will be kind of like, yeah, it will be, it won't really, it really won't hit the mark. Yeah. But you know, when I got asked to write a song for Willie Nelson back in the day, I had just come off the success of my first single, which uh, was called Strong Enough to Bend, and it had been a big hit for Tanya Tucker, which I, it's, I wrote it with Don Schlitz, and it was nominated for Song of the Year. And all of a sudden, my phone started ringing, and one of the people that called me was Fred Foster, who was iconic in the music business. He had signed Dolly Parton and Chris Christopherson when they were kids, and he built Monument Records. Anyway, he was producing Willie Nelson. And right. at that time, Willie had just had Lucas, his son, and his life was all up and crazy. He was moving from one marriage to another, it was just lots going on. So he wasn't writing. So I had this opportunity to write a song for Willie Nelson, who I was just massively a fan of. Yeah. And I had three months to write it. And it, it had to, it had to be something he would sing. And that to me was one of my biggest shifts of becoming a professional songwriter, because it had to be something that felt true to me. But I also had to guise it in the style of Willie Nelson. So I picked up my guitar and I started playing on the road again just to get into the vibe. And, you know, so when you're asked to write a song that is a specific assignment, yeah, it's yes, you need to do that if you want to be a professional songwriter. But then in that, you have to put your truth. You have to put something that comes only could have been written by you in that process, which when you get those creative flow juices going it will arrange itself. You know, it, it took me three months to the day to write the song, but I did it. And it was really a really good song. And I was very proud of myself for sticking to it. And it, it ended up going to number one. So I can't complain about that, but, uh, but I wasn't thinking about whether he was even going to cut it. When I got to wrestling with that song, I was like, I just want to get another rhyme for bow, you know, for, um, the name of the song was there's nothing I can do about it now. Yeah. And I had to rhyme that every time. I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Oh my God, it's so hard. So I had all the obvious rhymes. And then I remember sitting there 
like three o'clock in the morning pulling my hair out trying to think I can't I can't I have to have a fresh run and all of a sudden I this little nursery rhyme came into my head and this is what I'm talking about this creative flow is actually dancing with you it wants you to write this it knows what the answer is so just sit there and go bring it please <laughs> thank you for bringing me the next line and all of a sudden I was thinking when the bow breaks the cradle will fall bow b-o-u-g-h so then I knew I had to get that word at the end of the line. And what's a bow? Well, I looked it up. Well, a bow is a part of a tree. And I thought, shoot, how am I going to get a part of a tree in this song? And I wrestled with that for about an hour. And I finally just flipped into my head like, bing, because I was sitting there grunting along with nothing, nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden it was like, bing. And it's the line. It says, uh, and I've been dreaming like a child since the cradle broke the bow Beautiful. and there's nothing I can do about it now. Lovely. And I was like dancing around, screaming at the top of my lungs with happiness. That One is of the things I do in my writing is I just like, I'm a, like a dog with a bone. I'm like, there is a rhyme. There's another run. I'm just not thinking of it yet, but it will come. And I've waited 18 years for one word. <laughs> so I'm a bit crazy about that that kind of stuff but man when it comes in it's the right one it's about feeling when you when you land that line you know I, yeah. you know that is a an amazing feeling it's kind of like winning, winning a football trophy or something it's just like yes yeah. you know, it's, it's very yeah. true um so in collaboration when you write with other people what do you gain from working with other songwriters? You're obviously an amazingly loved songwriter yourself but when you're working with someone else because each moment even if you've written with very successful people or new people there's always something different that goes on what do you enjoy about that process and what do you gain from it do you think well i i love co-writing um and i just got back from co-writing at chris difford's uh okay. he had a retreat at an art house just recently yes. there were some incredible writers there that i'd never met before and it's always just like getting a Christmas present, you know, like who am I writing with tomorrow? I love going to Penard house and, and doing those writing retreats with Chris. And this time I got to write with several new people that were just fantastic. And I didn't really, I don't read the bios. I don't really want to know what their successes are because I, sometimes that can actually shut me down a little bit. I'm like, Oh, I got to write something really good with this person, you know? So it's really kind of go, great to go in there blind. One of the people I loved writing with was Jamie Hartman who wrote, um, I'm only human after all. Oh, I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. He wrote Giant and he wrote that song with uh, that artist. Their name is Rag and Bone. Yeah. And a bunch of others. I mean, I went back and looked, I Googled him after the fact. And I was like, whoa. But he was so delightful, super easy to write with, so brilliant, so fast, you know. Yeah. Um, and there were several other people. It was just, it was a fantastic uh, week uh, but you know you can get caught up in what somebody else has done or you know whether they're successful I mean I would be just as excited to sit down with Ruby Dew you know because when I heard her voice and I probably you too because I think you guys wrote the song together that I heard um, I just find that really fun and exciting to work with up-and-coming talented people who are still and of any age you know who are still just kind of forming their direction as a writer because i have a lot of craft but there's a freshness to yeah. a young voice yeah 
young meaning a new a new voice i mean there's people that start writing in their 40s you know um so it's not about age it's about embarking on this journey and starting to open to it and there's a funny thing about people that are new to it they don't know that they're they don't know the rules so they kind of go into areas that one those of us who are more experienced might think well we won't go there but maybe we will go there because in there in that room there's this other weird quirky thing yeah that we will use not the obvious thing but there's this unobvious thing and uh, I, I was writing this past uh trip uh with victoria canal who's an amazing artist and she's out there right now opening up for hoosier Brilliant. having a blast she's in her you know she's in her early 20s very very talented and we were writing a song and the melody was coming along and I was throwing in this next section and the, you know, that was really cool melody, but she sort of went, uh, can we play around with that melody there? And I'm thinking, okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of like what that is, but yes, absolutely. And then she had this whole other melody, which I love now. It's my favorite part of the song. And I would have never, ever gone there. And and that's what I love about co-writing because it expands me to places I wouldn't normally go. And I fall in love with it. And it's, it's, it makes it like an adventure. And you realize you can really get kind of in a rut of your own style sometimes. So like, I love writing like the song that we wrote with Jamie Hartman. um, And I think uh, Tara, Tara, I think her last name is Austin. She's also a fantastic songwriter from LA. We ended up writing this thing. It's he's going to do it like a dance track, you know, and I love, I'd love to do more of that kind of stuff. Cause it's totally out of my wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. 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 That's a, but a great whole- song. Whoa. I mean, a great song does, it doesn't matter what style it's in, you know, if there's a song in there, then, then that's, that's what I'm always seeking. Absolutely. Um, who are your like main influences when you were growing up as songwriters? Who who were the people? What songwriters do you think has really shaped you as a songwriter? Well, I remember being really, really young, like five years old to seven years old, and the the main source of my musical uh, interaction was whatever my parents put on the record player. Yeah, and I remember there being Tijuana Brass, Herb Alpert, and the Tijuana Brass album that had. Um, the Lonely Bull on it, which was this instrumental, you know, but then this woman's voice goes, oh, and that just went, wow. And I started running around the house singing that. And I just fell in love with the music part right from that. And then they had these albums like Frank Sinatra, Edie Gourmet, Robert Goulet, and they were doing all the classic Gershwin tunes. And so I got a real deep dive into super you know heavy duty songwriting level songs that were popular on the radio too you know l is for the way you look at me those kind of songs that were pop that were coming through the 60s you know they were very well crafted melodically very fresh and then there was all this buddy holly and the beatles that hit right about the time i was starting to play guitar and then i then bob dylan came along and then i fell in love with you know, um, Fairport, Fairport Convention, Judy Collins. I mean, the, one artist would lead me to another artist, uh, Joni Mitchell, Carol King, all the singer-songwriters of the 70s, Motown. Yeah. So I loved all that stuff, all that stuff. And I, I would learn how to play it and I would, you know, soak it in and, and just incorporate it into my DNA, you know. I think you're right. Um, 
my mum and dad used to, we used to drive quite a long way from where we lived up and to see relatives and the radio would be on all the time. So I'd just have my, you know, my face pressed against the cold glass looking out at city lights at night. Yeah. Let the radio do just yeah. be on. And in a, in a funny kind of way that when you're just so open-minded when you're a kid and you're just hearing song after song after song, which are all quality songs, that really does, in, in many ways, it teaches you how to write songs. It goes into your subconscious, doesn't it? Because you just soaked it in like yeah. at such an early age. And, you know, they would be playing Ode to Billy Joe and then they would play Frank Sinatra or, you know, it was it yeah. was such a mixed bag. And I think you probably had that too there. I don't know what it's like now because so many young people go to like a streaming service. And then if you listen to a certain artist, then you're going to get another artist sent to you that's like that artist. So yeah. that's good. But sometimes the shock of something completely different would yeah. really feed me, you know, as a like I'd be listening to Julia by the Beatles and then I'd be, you know, jumping over to Patsy Cline. You know, it's just, it was a wonderful, varied kind of experience. I don't know how varied it is now for, yeah, unless you're seeking it out, you know. Like it's interesting because my daughter's 19, so she's grown up with Spotify. Um, so she's And what a- is she finding? Is she finding well, music? Is she? Yeah, she's she's kind of got a really great taste. I mean, her mother and I, you know, um, obviously played her. Or we're, we've been singing together for years, so she's grown up in a musical household writing songs. Oh, and so she's been played the classics as well. Um, but yeah, that's- she kind of found her own like lo-fi type of songwriter, like uh, Matt DeMarco. Uh, a lot of people, Biba, uh, Biba, can't remember pronounce her name, but um, quite a few people like that. And but they would always be, they've been brought up on the classics, so she she right. kind of had a background in classics songwriting and artists, but she is very much into like the seventies, you know the seventies. Her mother oh. is huge on disco and great yeah. songwriters, so she's got this big seventies, whether it's seventies film or seventies music, that's her thing, you know. So that's obviously yeah. been an influence of us, but there's but she's also kind of found artists online via like listening to Fleetwood Mac it's been suggested some more modern artists so I think in many ways it's quite like I remember dreaming as a kid thinking there must be some way in the future that you could just listen to all the songs in the world and not have to buy CDs so in in a kind (laughs) of in a way it's like great because you can just access what you want as a writer but obviously it has a traumatic impact on us as songwriters but um I think it is very much online does she listen to Spotify or Apple Music or which do you know what streaming service yeah, she listens Spotify. to? Spotify. Yeah. Spotify. Okay. Well, here's a tip. I just found this out. Okay. Spotify is the worst sounding. Yeah. It does not really get all the frequencies. So my record, if you listen to it on Spotify, it sounds like an MP3 compared to if you go to Amazon music or Apple or, or title, of course, which is very, you know, high, high level, but these other streaming services are starting to put them up at like 196k yeah so that when you listen to it even on headphones you hear everything yeah and i hope that spotify will come to the party because when i did not even notice it because i'm busy running around but ray kennedy who produced my album he's a real master of sound and he's like don't listen on you know listen on this one listen on amazon music or one of these other ones so if you get a chance just compare them yeah nice. and you might be blown difference you know 
I did actually do Unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, most of the industry has like, what are your Spotify numbers? You know, there's kind of, it's sort of taken over. It's not, I don't like all that. That's the one thing about this this t time where I, I really don't like that. Because like you said about earlier about Vincent Van Gogh, it's like, well, his if he was a musical artist, his streaming figures would be terrible. But yes. you, you can't judge <laughs> streaming figures, you know. But I, also, I did actually yeah. do a little comparison with uh, Neil Young's Pono player when when that was kind of um, a bit of a thing a few years ago, and, he, and that was sounding good compared to Spotify. So good for yeah. the listeners. Go and listen elsewhere and compare. Um, well, I mean, you know, the thing is, Pono was a... I love that Neil tried, you know, but he, he's, it, it, he's, he was born to be an artist and a songwriter, and probably the parameters that would have been required for that thing to really take off, he didn't probably have inborn, but... But I, it did impress me. The difference did impress me. And, and I'm not really a stickler for that kind of stuff so much, but it was a huge difference. So if your daughter is listening to something and, you know, just make sure she catches all the frequencies, <laughs> you know, all those beautiful frequencies when we, when we record something in the studio, at least the, the world has moved on from MP3s for the most part. You know, it's a little bit better than it was, but for yeah. a while there. Let me just ask you a couple more questions because I know I'm a bit aware of time because yeah. I need to go on. Sorry. When I was asked when I started this podcast, I asked a few um listeners who would they like me to talk to? And your name came up again, again, and again and again. Really? And, oh, yeah, right. People really keen to hear, to hear you talk about your process and songwriting. So this is a bit of a strange question, but if somebody had never heard your songs before, what three songs would you uh, introduce them to as a way into the world of Beth Nielsen Chapman? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, which three songs? Let's see. Hmm. I guess Sand and Water would be one of them because yeah. that song is kind of iconic to my... Um, and in turn, I mean, it's really, it's like saying, which child would you pick? Yeah. You know, uh, I can only go by what some of my favorite songs are. Yeah, good. There's a song... It's a it's a song on the Deeper Still album that I love uh, that I wrote with Annie Roboff called "It All Comes Down to Love" or "All Comes Down to Love" is the name of it because the structure of that song is just it. I'm very proud of how that came out and Annie, you know, being she's just a genius with chords and how to get back to how do we get from there to there back to there? Yeah, and that one's one of my favorites because of that. Um. Hmm. And then it's just tough. I mean, I just have to just pick something off the top of my head. Let's see. Well, I would say nothing I can do about it now is one of the songs I'm the proudest of. Fantastic. Because it's it's really well, it just became airtight. <clears throat> yeah. And it it used, you know, it used perfect rhyme and it 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 just has a lot going on and I managed to pull it off. <laughs> well done. Brilliant. Great, great, great songs, all three of those. Um, and two more questions. If um you could give advice, I mean you have given a lot of advice on this uh podcast so far, but if you were to give <laughs> a direct piece of advice to a songwriter, someone who's new, what would you say to them? I would say fall in love with finding your voice. <clears throat> And don't plant your seeds too close to the super highway of the music business. Mm, what a lovely. So there's a business. There's a business model to learn. If you want to do this for a living, that's a learning curve. But if you don't have great songs, 
none of that matters. Yeah. So focus on finding a way to write the greatest songs you can. Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. <laughs> now it's getting to be a long t-shirt, but <clears throat> it's very important to know that you are the only person who can write your songs and that you're brilliant. If you If you open to it and you allow that creative flow full access to your being and you work on your craft nothing bad can happen from that that can i can't guarantee you you won't be at a time in your life when the popular artist is picasso and not van gogh but you can't attach the outcome the outcome is not what it's about it's about the outcome being just writing really sharp brilliant coherent songs and then just you know keep doing it just keep doing it and you have to put yourself out there the other thing i would say in terms of being in the world with your music because nobody wants to sit in the room by themselves and do all that and not have a payoff right build community yeah. with other writers with other creative people i mean there's nobody that does it better than chris difford um but you can do your own version of that you can literally find out who lives in your town who's also interested in songwriting and you could have once a month, yeah. start a club, you know, start a little gathering. We're going to have five people. Then you're going to have 10 people. Then you're going to have to find a bigger venue because everybody I've ever seen that does that in Nashville, it ends up being a thing. And young, starving, clueless songwriters fall off the turnip truck every day in Nashville. And they're looking for places to play their songs. Yeah. And they're looking for places where they can get in front of other people. So that kind of thing can be really very very much feed you as a as a songwriter yeah just the community you know sense of community yeah, I, think so. I think it's important to be um inspired by icons but also to hear people write weekly or daily that are around you you know and and to keep you kind of focused on what you're doing okay final question and thank you yeah. so much for your time um and oh sure thing i want to say thing quickly is that yes. every, every minute there's another there's another jimmy webb or Joni mitchell forming and they're yeah. everywhere and they're forming right now so once you once you open that door you'll meet them and then you get to know them as they're going up you know anyway so sorry Great. go ahead hey, thank <laughs> your you last question thank you. thank you so much for your time and oh, you're a huge fan of your of your songwriting and um thank you um so i ask people this question and it will change from day to day but if you could have written any song which isn't one of your songs written by someone else at the song that you would have had to wrestle with in bed or you know enjoy coming very quickly or however it turned up what song by somebody else would you have loved to have spent time with and would you love to have written well there are many but one that goes to the top of the list is wichita lyman yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah and when jimmy webb asked me to sing at his wedding to his lovely bride laura I was so honored. I was like, oh, my God, of course, which one of your songs do I get to sing? And he goes, Beth, I don't write happy love songs. <laughs> You're going to have to sing one of your songs. I'm like, what? I mean, how do I stand up at Jimmy Webb's wedding and sing not a Jimmy Webb song? He goes, because my wife wants to hear Look, which is another song that I wrote um, with Andy Bay. And I was like, oh, my God, okay. And it was just, it was still an honor to sing, but I would have loved to have sung Wichita Lyman, but it's not really a wedding song. So, yeah, true. But know, it's a fantastic I get why he wanted <laughs> one of the best ever. So you're, you're on tour at the moment. Yeah. You come back from tour. You're, I you're... am. I'm coming to you. Uh, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but um, okay. if come it's before weekend. my tour, then 
Oh, okay. Well, then let's do mention my tour. I'm okay. coming over and I'm saying, uh, you can just go to my website, bethnielsenchapman.com to get the particulars. But I'm playing in London at Nell's on the 4th of August. And then I'm coming over and playing um, Lyme, Lyme Regis, I believe, okay. on the 7th. The yeah. and, then, and then I'm in Wales at, uh, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> I can't remember. But it's all on my website under tour. And I'll definitely be at Nell's. And in fact, uh, are you near London? Um, no, I'm actually, I, I will see you in Lyme Regis. I'm, I'm down that neck of the woods. So I'm planning. To oh, be, great. Yeah. All right. Well, so, yeah. let us know if you, if you want tickets, I'm happy to get that arranged for you because yeah, I don't have you. any tons of people I know in Lyme Regis. So uh, thank well, you for spreading. We shall spread the word in these parts and, uh, and get All right. some people there. Well, we can and put then, you on the guest list. Oh, very kind of you. Thank you. Anyway. So, uh, and we end up, and I'm doing that lovely um, Under the Stars Festival that Kate Rusby puts on. That's, I think, the 6th and 7th of August. And then on the 8th of August, we'll be at the Queen's Hall in Edinburgh. Fantastic. And um, we're going we're gonna to rope the lovely Gregor Philp into coming into the band on that one. Uh, Gregor's from Blue. Uh, <clears throat> you might know Gregor. Yeah, he's great. He's really so, great. yeah, great fun. It's a little mini tour, but it'll it'll be wonderful to come back over. So. And loving the new single as well, by the way, Back to This Moment is, is great, really great. So everybody who's yeah. listening, um, go and check out Beth's website and uh, get yourself a ticket, buy yourself an album. And if you're going to stream it, do it on a good streaming service. Uh, thank you, Beth, for your time. You've been wonderful. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll see you over there. I'm going to put you on my guest list for Lyme Regis. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much.